Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry here at Midwestern and Spurgeon College and general editor of For the Church. Social media was made to bring us together, wasn't it? But few things have driven us further apart. Sadly, many Christians are fueling this online incivility. Others, exhausted by perpetual outrage and shame-filled from constant comparison, are leaving social media altogether. So how should Christians behave in this digital age? Is there a better way? Well, Daniel Darling believes we need an approach that applies biblical wisdom to our engagement with social media, an approach that neither retreats from modern technology nor ignores the harmful ways in which Christians often engage publicly. In short, he believes that we can and should use our online conversations for good. And my guest today is Daniel Darling, who is the Senior Vice President for Communications at the NRB. That's the National Religious Broadcasters. Having served previously as the VP of Communications for the ERLC, Dan is the author of numerous books, including the subject of today's episode, Away with Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here, man, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, are, are you in Nashville right now? I am in Nashville, yeah. So there, we have an office in uh, D.C. and an office in Nashville, but uh, we, we like Nashville, so okay. we, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> that is to say, well, what's so. the COVID situation like there as of this date? Uh, I it's mean, a, the cases are kind of... Yeah, I mean, it, they're still the cases are still. I want to say they're rising. I think today the cases were down, but the deaths are up. Yeah, it's, it's oh. one of the hot spots, but it's it's gotten better. Okay, uh, we're still one of the states, though. That if we travel to another state, we have to quarantine. So I guess that means we're a hot spot for for any state or or just certain states. You know, some states like Illinois and yeah. other states that if you come come from a hot spot like Tennessee, then uh, you have to quarantine for two weeks. That's so DC's like that too. See, I discovered that um, I recently traveled for the first time in several months. Uh, so, so it was my first time doing any traveling since all this stuff went down. And I went through. I was flying through Chicago to um, to Ohio, and so on the layover, we land in Chicago, and I hear this thing over the over the loudspeaker saying, um, you know, if you're from whatever states or whatever you're staying and you have to quarantine for 14 days. And I thought, man, I'm glad my state, like, I'm glad I'm not landing here. First of all, um, yeah. uh, Missouri was not on their list. So I wasn't coming from a state that would have had to do it. But yeah. if I was, I wouldn't have known. And, and what, what would, would you, you do? do? You know, if you, if yeah, you had like, and if, I don't know if they're, are, are they like really enforcing it? My, my sense is like, <laughs> uh, you know, if you get pulled over for a t- speeding ticket and you're in New York and you have a Tennessee license plate, they're going to ask you, right? But my sense is they're not going to just like, I don't know how the, how, how you enforce it. Well, I, I wonder like on, on a return, like if you're if you're flying back out and they see you're from out of state and they want to know how long were you here? Did you quarantine? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, oh. they may ask questions there. And when, we have some friends who are about to travel to Maine and Maine it is allowing people in to the state, of course, but you have to have a negative COVID test. 
So to go into the state of Maine. To go into the state. That's what they were told. So I'm trying to figure out how do they monitor every every border entrance? That just doesn't seem possible. So maybe it's just the airport. I feel like we're in a dystopian novel right now. <laughs> well, I have felt that way for the last um, X amount of years, but in, in, in any event. Yeah. Well, this is, like, this is like we're getting, this is like the, the last few chapters of it, though. Okay. Yeah, you know, okay. Just, Man, it's really intense, you know. It's exciting. I wonder how it's going to end. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of of books, not dystopian novels, uh, but your book, which is called Away with Words, um and it's all about kind of the the impact of social media upon the way we speak um and and think, but also then the impact of the gospel and and biblical wisdom on the way we speak and think as well. And sometimes we may assume never the twain shall meet, I suppose, social media and biblical wisdom. And yet I think you've done a good job in this book of, of, of bringing in um, really a God-shaped vision for how we interact with each other. So let me just start with just kind of a rudimentary question. First of all, what is social media doing to our ability to talk in, in general? Like what has been the impact of this medium on speech generally? Yeah, it, you know, there's a part of me that says, I mean, I, I think it's mixed, okay? So I think on the one hand, it's social media has flattened access so that it allows voices to rise that maybe wouldn't have before, right? So we can discover good good books, we can discover good writing, we can discover good people. Twitter, I mean, maybe I was, I probably felt more like this a few years ago, but you know, it, it kind of requires you to be succinct a little bit. Um, th- there's some benefits to it, to it like that. I think on the, on the negative side, there are um, perverse incentives to Twitter, to, to social media that uh, you know, perverse incentives that have us always kind of performing, if that makes sense. Like yeah. we're always on the stage. We always having to perform, you know, just think about that. Like 15 years ago, nobody cared what the pastor of a medium sized church, three States away thought about some world crisis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no one was knocking on his door saying, Hey, what do you think about this or that? Now, Everybody has to have an opinion on everything all the time. There's this pressure to perform. So I think it's hurt our speech in some ways. Um, and I think, I think it's made us a little, a little, it's made us performative, which can make us meaner. You yeah. know, like we're trying to demonstrate that we're on the good side and we're not on the side of the other, of the bad side. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, don't you think also just, you know, as you mentioned, the, um, you know, the succinctness of it leads to inevitably a terseness, but also yeah. the succinctness leads to a, just a lack of depth, context. Mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, nuance is a bad word now, but there's, there just doesn't seem, we, it's like sound bites, right? So it used to be we would make fun of, or we were skeptical of, of the news and cable news and, and sound bite kind of culture and sound bite the soundbite medium, but now that's all that we talk in is, is kind of the soundbite medium is how can I turn this phrase, whether it's to skewer somebody or not 
but we've lost, I think, a sense of depth, maybe even, I think, reading comprehension for, you know, for things that... I definitely (laughs) agree on reading comprehension. And, you know, there's that book called The Shallows that talk about how we we don't read, uh, you know, we, we don't read for depth anymore in terms of long form or just absorbing the whole thing. I know I myself finding myself getting caught in this kind of constantly checking Twitter and getting my, you know, you're getting a little bits of news one tweet at a time. And it just, it, it kind of has this weird impact on you. The other thing way it's impact speech is that it, it's bypassed the filters, right? So if you think about um, before social media, you wanted to make your opinion known on a publicly about an issue, at least what I used to do is write a letter to the editor. Remember letters to the editor? <laughs> I do, yeah. But what, you, but what you had to do is, I mean, in the old, old days, you had to actually sit down and write it. So you had to form your thoughts and kind of, you know, think through that and then send it to an editor who would clean it up and then publish it. Now there's no filter. So you can immediately just go with your immediate thoughts instead of kind of, you know, filtering that through. And I think that's hurt our speech as well. Yeah. Would you say though, though, that there may be pros to that as well? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes. Well, even I'm just of myself, the, the, I mean, the, the democratization of it mm-hmm. has, you know, has advantages where before, if you felt like yeah. you got to go through gatekeepers, well, the gatekeepers can determine what messages are worth hearing. And now yeah. it's, I mean, you know, there's certainly downsides to this kind of, you know, wild west, you know, free for all. That is social yeah. media. But at the same time, we, the people, decide, you know, who's, you know, worth hearing and, and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. And I, I mean, that's, that's why I'm not like anti-social media, even in this book. Like one of the things I say is, you know, we're, we're not going to go back to the 1950s. We're not going to suddenly become Amish. You know, the Internet's here to stay. So how do we how do we steward this well? Uh, I, I, I owe a lot to the Internet. You know, much of my writing career is yeah, mine too. discoverability. You know, you write places and people discover you, uh, whether it's for, for blogs or publications or whatever. Um, you do podcasts and people discover you. Um, you know, I follow some of the people I read regularly and whose work is impacted by life. I know about them probably because I found out on social media, you know, other people I respect, recommend them and so on and so forth. So it has had a really good impact that way. And I think in terms of, um, you know, for authors and, and other folks, I mean, it's been good to, to get your work dis- uh, discovered. So yeah, it's a, it's a big bag. It is. It is. Um, like many things, I think, right? And 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 it becomes yeah. kind of what we bring to it, probably, um, mm-hmm. to a large extent as well. Is you know, social media is maybe maybe not a neutral medium, but it's it's shaped by the voices that are shaping it, right? I mean, it's it's a tool, so how it's used certainly you know affects um, the impact of it. So you you you've touched on some of this already, but what are some common problems? Um, that we see in how content is being consumed via social media or what are some problems in the way people are interacting on social media? And this may seem like an obvious question, but I think you might have some insights here. Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of problems and particularly when it comes to Christians, I think number one, um, you know, we don't obey James one nineteen, which says, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to 
wrath. I, I like to change it. Let every person be quick to get the whole story, slow to post, <laughs> slow to internet rage. Um, so I think we're, there, there's, there's just this impulsivity and we have to speak out. We have to say things. I think the biggest thing for Christians is that, you know, we think that there's two mistakes we make. One, we, we forget that when we're online, we're Christians. I know that sounds just basic, but like when we're in this atmosphere, when we're on Twitter, on Facebook, we're Christians. And then secondly, we have this idea that because I'm on the right side of an issue that I'm speaking out on, it doesn't really matter the way that I articulate it. It doesn't, you know, and, and one of the things I talk about a lot uh, in the first part is how much God cares about our words, right? The, the Bible, uh, Christianity is very much a, um, a speaking religion, yeah. right? I mean, Christian, we have a God who spoke the world into existence. He's created us as image bearers. And one of the ways that we image God is the high forms of communication that we, that we use. And then all through the scriptures, we see uh, so many admonitions for the shape of our words and why our words matter. And, and then of course, Jesus is the logos, the word of God. Uh, he's given us his word. So so Christianity is very much about words and words matter. And I think sometimes Christians think that as long as I'm on the right side of something, it doesn't really matter how I say it. And there should be a distinctly Christian way, even when we're speaking up or speaking hard truths. Yeah. I, I think the, I, I wonder if you could kind of help us discern or troubleshoot where this comes from. Like, so why don't you think even more professing Christians online don't seem to take seriously what the Bible says about speech. What happens between the acknowledgement that God cares how I speak to others um, and they will know we are Christians by our love and now it's time to tweet. <laughs> where's the disconnect, yeah. but you know, happening, how, how, you know, where's the breakdown in formation or discipleship or whatever, what's happening there? Well, I think there's two things that are happening. Um, and one of the things I try to do is get underneath why we do these things and not just say, okay, let's be, let's be kind online, which we should. But why, <laughs> right. why, why are we motivated to do these things? I think the first reason is we, at times, we just simply fail to see the humanity of the other person on the other, on the other side of Twitter or the, the you know, um, because we're mediated through devices and we don't see people face to face, we get into this comfortable, you know, atmosphere and we forget to see the humanity of that person. We, we forget that they're, they're not the sum total of that argument they're making. Even when someone's wrong, you know, the people that we're talking with uh, are not avatars just to be crushed. They're, they're human beings made in the image of God. Um, and so we, we don't see their humanity when we do that. We don't, we don't, we, we forget that that person on the other side of Twitter that I'm about to crush and ruin his life uh, has a family who yeah. might Google his name. And so I think we forget that. Number two, though, I think a lot of the reasons we do the things we do online, whether it's being nasty uh, or whether it's what we post on Instagram, if we have to curate this image of a, you know, perfect family or something like that is that we, I think there's a, there's a temptation to curate a version of ourselves online that is missing in real life. 
So I don't know if you noticed this, but some of the, I have met one, one or two people who are just nasty online, but I've met them in person and they're just like meek as doves. <laughs> you know, it's just like an alter ego. Yeah. And I think there's a tendency to try to compensate for something we see missing in our real lives. And it's not just the case with people who are nasty and, and provocative. I think that can be kind of like a, someone was never a, considered a fighter or a warrior and this is their moment to kind of to be a hero in their own mind. But even it's also the reason I think some of the temptations on places like Instagram that I have to be this intact person or I have to be this super spiritual person or, you know, I have to have it all together. I have to be a super mom or super dad. And of course the truth of the gospel is that God, you know, he sees the real version of us, not the curated version that we put online on the stage. And he loves the version, uh, the real version. And, you know, if, if we understand that we're known by God and we know God, um, then we don't have to perform and play act online. And I think it frees us up to actually do good things with our social media. Does that make sense? It does. And I mean, I'm just thinking how exhausting it must be to, you know, have to project <laughs> and maintain an image. Yeah. And I've been guilty of that, you know, certainly before, but the the, the idea that, I'm, I'm a persona and not actually who I am. One of the best compliments mm -hmm. that I think we could receive from someone is, Hey, who you are, you know, online is who you are in, you know, in, in, in real life. Now, if who you are, if who you are online is a jerk, <laughs> then that's probably not a good, you know, I mean, that's not a compliment, but that there's not a, uh, okay, now that I'm online, I have to be this thing or this other mm -hmm. you know, person but that it's as seamless as possible. That's just an extension of, 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 you know, of your speech, but we all do get braver. I think when we don't have to look someone in the eyes, when we don't actually have to, you know, stand in yeah. front of their, you know, you know, part of it is, I wonder, it's not just, would you say it to them, uh, you know, to their face, but would you say it to their face if their wife was standing next to them or, <laughs> Right. Well, and the you know, or Jesus, if Jesus was standing next to them, right? Right. <laughs> or the other thing, Jared, too, is we forget we're in public. Right. You know, we are. You know, <laughs> if I'm tweeting, I'm in public, but we don't see it that way. And this is one of the things I talk about to Christian leaders that you, some of the things I see Christian leaders tweet, and I'm thinking, do you realize you're in public here? And would you get up in the pulpit and say this thing? Would you? Uh, go to a, a crowded dinner party and, you know, quiet everyone down and stand on the table and say, I just want to let you guys all know that this person over here is an idiot and his argument is terrible. <laughs> like none of us would do that, right? But we, we feel like we could do it on social media and we forget that we're in public if people are watching. Um, and, you know, when it comes to Christian leaders, I actually think James 3 really applies where James is talking about the weight of being a teacher of the word of God and, and how the words of someone who has that teaching platform, uh, carry a lot of weight. And I, I think sometimes we don't realize that we're, we're just a little bit flippant that way. Yeah. We've all kind of taken on the mantle, you know, with a Twitter feed or, or Facebook or whatever, we've taken on the mantle of, of, of teaching or the platform. We have a pulpit of some kind and we're able to buy, maybe the, you know, the gatekeeper is not some institutional media, you know, but before 
you know, the platform for the church was qualifications for ministry, you know, uh, uh, you know, a church that would platform you or position you or qualify you. Whereas today we don't need that. And so we're able to kind of take on the persona of a teacher without, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, visible accountability, um, without, mm-hmm. without having to, um, uh, you know, have gained any experience, you know, you, you know, some of the, you know, the angriest critics of the church um, that I see are folks that don't have any discernible history with the church, having, having pastored, having any, you know, substantive leadership experience themselves or built anything Mm -hmm. or led anything. And yet they position themselves as experts. And if you're loud enough and vehement enough, um, you know, you can get a lot of amens and now you got your own kind of (laughs) online, you know, pulpit. You, you have a, um, a, a quasi church in, in, you know, a virtual church, I suppose. That is so true. And I actually think, uh, you, you hit on something there that I, I discussed too, that people find a sense of community online. Now I think you can find some community online that's really healthy. Yeah. So I'm not, a, I'm not against it, but I do think, uh, David Brooks in his book, second mountain has a great quote where he says that, um, tribalism is the dark twin of community. That all of us, all of us long for community. We're we're social creatures that God made us that way, and the the most fruitful kind of community is a sort of embodied community that is probably best represented by the local church gathering. Uh, but tribalism offers something different. It, it you know instead of joining a group because of shared interests, you're 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 joining a group because of shared hatreds, right? And I think there is a way for people to compensate for for what that's missing in real life by being a hero to some group, right? So even if you think about someone who thinks he's, you know, I'm just a bold truth teller and I'm going to call out everybody and I'm going to go after all these leaders and I'm going to be nasty in their own mind. They're this truth teller and they're, they're playing this part online. They're, they're play acting this part and they're getting that affirmation from that tribe and it's intoxicating. It really is. Yeah. And so I think, I think that's part of what's going on. I do actually talk about discernment bloggers in this book too. So hopefully I don't get crushed for that. <laughs> well, how, how many of them are reading? Well, I was going to say how many of them are reading books, but now I'm being, <laughs> now I'm being mean. So I need to repent and apologize for that sort of assumption. Um, and speaking of that apology, um, can it be redeemed brother? Like, you know, your, your book is not anti-social media. But you're, you know, kind of promoting biblical wisdom in our application of it or our, our, our utilization of it. Can this thing be redeemed? And if so, how? Oh, I, I absolutely do think it can be redeemed. And, you know, I'm actually arguing that we, you know, not that we should abandon uh, social media. I think this is the way people communicate in this age. Uh, and I think we need to be engaged in it. Um, and I actually think we should make public arguments and uh, we should you know, stand up for, for the vulnerable and, and stand up for things like justice and, you know, communicate gospel truth. Um, I really do. I just think we have to be wise about the way we do it. I think slow down a little bit uh, with what we do. And then it just ask ourselves really good questions before we post. Why am I doing this? Uh, what's the purpose of doing this? What is, you know, and I think that kind of helps frame our discussions. Is this something that I'll, I'll be embarrassed by? in, you know, five years or whatever. I actually think it could be fun. I mean, 
I, I, I talk about in the book too, that, you know, using it to not take ourselves so seriously, take the issue seriously, but don't take ourselves so seriously. That can actually be the more fun part of social media when we're, we're joking around, we're, we're live tweeting sports or something like that, or, you know, things like that. Um, and so I think, I think it can be redeemed. I think, uh, it's a, it's an area where if we do it well and we, and we speak with a kind of distinctly Christian voice, we can actually, you know, make a difference. You have an appendix, uh, at the end of the book, uh, which is where an appendix usually goes. <laughs> I don't know why I said that at the end of the book. You, you have an appendix right in the middle of the book, brother. No, you have an appendix <laughs> yeah. that's called how to read the news. What's some of the counsel? What's kind of the Cliff Notes version of the counsel you give there in terms of how to read the news? Because we are in the we're in the era of fake news and mm-hmm. certainly tribalistic news, right? So everyone in my Facebook feed who tells you that Fox News is purely propaganda is constantly linking to CNN, and everyone who tells you mm-hmm. that CNN is liberal propaganda is constantly linking to Fox News. And so we're, we're kind of, you know, we have a, a, a bifurcated mind about that, very tribal. Um, and, and, and we're headline people. So if you get your news from Twitter, most, well, I don't, don't want to say most because I don't know the stats, but my hunch is that a lot of people who are getting their news from Twitter are getting it from the, the tweets that it's in themselves and not from the actual articles or yeah. the substantive reporting. So. All that is my intro to what's some of the counsel that you give in terms of how to read the news? Well, I think first um, is to read widely across different ideological streams. So read from different sources. Um, it's, it's harder and harder because the news is so deregulated and it seems like every, every news outlet has some kind of ideological bias, right? Whether it's left or right. Even the mainstream outlets seem to lean left, you know, um, secondly to do just what you said, don't just read the headline. Or if you do just read the headline, don't react to the headline. This is one of the things I, I tell people is, um, read the whole story because we've seen countless times in the last couple of years where a bunch of people jumped on a headline and then it turns out 24 hours later, it's all wrong. Right. Right. I mean, think about this kid at the March for Life, right? This Nick Sandman kid that, you know, everyone jumped on this video and said he was some kind of racist kid just because he he smirked, you know. And then we find out later the story's not even true. Everyone had to walk it back and news organizations had to walk back their stories. So I think we have to be wise and read beyond the headlines, slow down. We don't actually have to comment on news stories unless we know the full thing. Um, Read from a variety of sources. I think try to avoid a hive mind. Uh, uh, an echo chamber, which Twitter can kind of do that. Yeah, Twitter can kind of have like this one big narrative that everyone is like all the right people believe this and all the wrong people believe this. And we have to be, we have to be really careful about getting into that. So we should be somewhat skeptical that way without being cynical, right? Like we don't want to go the other direction and just think, no, everybody's lying to us and everything's a conspiracy theory, which I have a chapter on conspiracy theories in the book too. Um, but I think read widely across different, you know, from, from different sources. Danny, you bring such a peaceable wisdom to this. It makes me wonder, um, if there's something wrong with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, there probably is. You're an anomaly. 
Well, I, I appreciate it. I find it convicting and challenging uh, to myself. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, the one thing I want everybody to know is nothing in here at all applies to your Tom Brady tweet. <laughs> okay. Hey, it's been a You're while. I, Bring all those. Run all those. Yeah. Good. Well, and, and now uh, I, I feel rejuvenated because now that he's playing for a different team, that there's going to be some more material there. It's really fertile soil for uh, a resurgence of Tom Brady tweeting, I think. Yeah. So question, though, are you a Tom Brady fan slash Bucks fan or are you a New England fan and you're like, you hope Brady loses? Um, so neither. And well, I mean, I'm a new England fan. So I mean, the Patriots are my team. That's where I'm, that's where I'm heading. I'm liking the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the Newton pickup. We're going to see how that yeah. goes, if he can compete well, but I'm still a huge Tom Brady guy. So I'll be rooting for him and the bucks for the duration that he's there, which I'm giving probably two years, maybe three, if okay. he doesn't get injured. Um, the so, question yeah. Is, is, yeah. Is, is it, uh, is this is this sojourn for Brady? Is this like Peyton to Denver, or is this like Jordan to the Wizards? <laughs> I think it's Peyton to Denver. I, I hope that he does not look like Peyton at the end of that run, where right even in his Super Bowl, yeah. even in his Super Bowl win, he looked like the boy needs to sit down. <laughs> yeah, he, he was in bad shape. Yeah, and I don't want to see Brady there. I mean, he's not the most agile guy anyway. Um, but you know he's he's still performing at a at a high level. If he's got a good you know team around him and he doesn't get hurt, that's the thing. Just one wrong hit with any of the quarterbacks, you know, regardless of a forty you know four year old yeah. you know guy, any you know any quarterback hit at you know at the wrong time and in, in in the wrong way, and that and that's it. So, but certainly at, at a guy for his age, I don't care you know what kind of ice cream you know avocado ice cream he's been eating and. You know, plyometrics or whatever, <laughs> whatever he's doing over there with his pliability, um, it's not going to protect him. You know, if he gets hit in the back or something, yeah, or yeah. the leg or whatever, right? Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll yeah. be an interesting season, and I still think we're going to have a season. So, yeah, I'm well, holding out hope. I, I hope so too, brother. It's been great talking to you today. Yeah, great talking to you too, man. And keep up the great work, and uh, appreciate you having me on. This is fun. Yeah, thanks for coming. We've been talking with Daniel Darling, author of the new book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. It's published by B&H. You can find it wherever good books are sold. And thanks for listening. Uh, if you really like this podcast, we do ask, as always, that you would share it with your friends. Share the link on that cesspool of social media. Uh, give us a good review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.